0: With his image and his character. And those seven are very simple. Repeat after me. Pre-creation. Creation. -creation. Creation. Creation. Conflict. Conflict. By the way, what is conflict? Conflict is the fall. And then there's covenant. Somebody shout covenant. Covenant. Then there's Christ. Somebody shout Christ. The church. Somebody shout the church. church. And then last but not least, how many are looking forward to the day when God is going to recreate And how many are tired of this world and tired of the life that you're having down here on this earth? Don't ever get comfortable with this situation because in a little while, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. So watch what happens here. You can pretty much break down the Bible like this. For those of you who are Bible students who want to get deeper in the word, I'm intentionally preaching so that you can be equipped to be a better student in the word. How many want to be better students of the word, want to understand it better? So, So I'm going to make this very simple. Genesis, what book did I say, everybody? Genesis Genesis 1 through 11 basically summarizes less than a thousand years of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 11 in earth's history summarizes less than a thousand years. Genesis 12 through 50 only talks about a short span of time that's about 500 years. So why would God spend so much time on so little time? Only 11 chapters from Genesis 1 to 11, and then from Genesis 12 through 15, and if I could add on more than that, Genesis 12 to the whole end of the Bible is about really what God is attempting to do to restore in us the image of God. So let's break it down like this. In pre-creation, Satan... Basically told a lie. Here's the summary of the Bible. I'm basically going to tell you how to understand the Bible. In, in, in pre-creation, we see this in Revelation 12, Satan told a lie about God's character. He essentially said God cannot be trusted. And what that did is it caused a psychological shift in our minds where sin came in and your natural propensity as a human being is not to trust God. Some of you, some, some of us believe, Listen, I was just born with faith. No, you're a lie. You weren't born with nothing. As a matter of fact, we are born distrusting of God. I love Eric's testimony, how he felt even when he was in sin and in adulterous relationships. He felt like his and what he said was, I felt like God was mad at me. This is the lie that Satan has been telling from the beginning of time. He essentially wants us to see God in a light than he otherwise is. Is everybody following me so far? So from Genesis 1 through 12, you got the fall, you got the flood, and you have the tower of Babel. That's it. The fall, the flood, the tower of Babel. And in that instance, when Adam fell, God came to him and didn't kill him. Should should not have God killed Adam after he fell? What does not the Bible say the wages of sin is what? But Adam actually lived from that point on for 930 years. So understand now, God's right was to kill us in our sinful condition. But what God did was, and here's the key term that I've been talking about, God established what we want to call a covenant. Would you say covenant? Oh. Now, that's just a deep word to say he wanted to reestablish a relationship. Now, the reason why a covenant is important is because in order for you to really understand the Bible, you have to understand covenant. Genesis 12 to the end of the Bible is about God keeping the covenant that he made. In other words, here's Satan's ploy. If I can get them to see God in a light, otherwise than he is. See God as mean. See God as somebody that cannot be trusted. See God as vengeful. See God as vindictive like some of us are. I'm going to get you back if you do something wrong to me. Many of us view God that way. I've sinned. how many, honestly, just be honest. How many of you have ever committed a sin and after you sinned, you felt like God was just going to bless you? Hmm? I see one hand. Most of us, hear me now, psychologically, your, your, your default setting in your brain is to expect judgment from God. But God, I love God, God shifts that thing on us. And when Adam sinned, he was expecting to be killed. But what did God do? What did they do? They they, they, they put fig leaves on to try to hide themselves. But what did God do? God showed up and instead of killing them, he gave them a covenant. In Genesis 3.15, the covenant is very simple. He says, man, I'm going to send a seed that's going to destroy the serpent that lied to you. And for I love this part. And so for for all the existence of humanity, God has been trying to keep his promise to us. Here's the problem, though. Most of us hear me now. Hear me now. Most of us have a hard time believing that God is going to keep his promise to us. I mean, just be straight with you. If if everybody in here trusted God, as you would, as you would expect us to in light of all he's done, then uh, Jesus would have no reason to wait any longer. He'd come right now because we'd all be saved. The most difficult thing in Christianity is trusting God. Now, there are those of you here right Pastor, I trust God. Uh, if you trusted him perfectly, you wouldn't be here right now. God would have no more need for you on planet Earth. He'd take you to heaven. Every one of us. Can I get a witness in here? Every one of us needs to grow. I think I'm by myself this morning. Is there anybody here today that knows you need to grow in your trust relationship with God? So here's what God said he's going to do. He said, look, I, I, I can't count on the whole planet because the whole planet got so wicked that God said this before the flood. He said, man, this world is so bad, I'm going to have to destroy it. And then the word of God says he found grace in the eyes of Noah. So he tried to make a covenant with who, everybody? With Noah. But could Noah keep, could he keep the covenant? Man, as soon as Noah, as soon as Noah got saved out of the flood, the first thing he did was engage in what scholars suggest, some inappropriate sexual act with his son. And he got drunk. Couldn't count on Noah. Few hundred years later, then God said, there'll be no flood. What do you think man did? You think they believe him, right? What do they do when God said there's no flood? They built a tower of Babel because they didn't believe him. Then what happened after that? God says, I got to find. Now, here's the thing. He says, I got to find somebody that will believe me. The whole way God's going to save us is he's looking for somebody just to believe him. That's it. He says, I can't get anybody to believe the most ridiculous thing in the world. What is that, Lord? That I love them even though they don't deserve it. So here's my promise. I'm going to send my son through the family that I can trust and then I'm going to save it. Who was the family he chose? Abraham. Abraham. So the Bible says that God went to Abraham. This is Bible history, just like one on one. God went to Abraham and said, Abraham, and by the way, Abraham was how old, everybody, like 70 years old. His wife was barren. She could not have children. And God chose this guy who was basically a devil worshiper. He came out of a place called Ur that was steeped in pagan idolatry. And God says, that's the guy. I can imagine the angels are like, dude, what are you talking about? That guy? This this is your guy? No, this is the guy that I'm going to use to change and save the world. God went to him and said, look, Abraham, I got an idea that I want to share with you. What is that, Lord? I want to save you, your family, and the whole world through you. How are you going to do that? I want you to have a nation that's greater than any other nation and they will be a special people to me i will make covenant with them and abraham said i believe you the bible says in genesis 15:4 that abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness so follow this now the only reason why abraham is the guy is because abraham was dumb enough to believe the problem with many of us is you're too smart you got it all figured out. When Simone was sharing her testimony, I could so relate. There are so many of us that uh, one of the devotions this, uh, this, this week in the book uh, Draw a Circle talked about how some of us pray for stuff that we can do ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And there are many of us that don't pray stuff that only God can do, because let's just be honest, everybody. We don't possess the kind of crazy faith that Abraham had. I mean, think about this, you can't have children, you're 70 years old, and then you don't even end up having the child until you're over 100. So can you understand, can you not understand Abraham going to get a girlfriend on the side to try to fulfill the promise? Let me say, no, I can't understand that. That's because you're lying. You ain't never you ain't never had a Hagar, but many of you spiritually have had Hagar's where you have plan B's where you try to fulfill God's promises instead of letting God fulfill his promises. So Hagar, I mean, I mean, so I mean, the question really is, is did Abraham really keep the covenant No, Abraham didn't really keep the covenant, but Abraham followed the terms of the covenant, which was simply you can't keep the covenant. I'm going to keep it for you. I just simply need you to believe what I said. Oh, boy. So after Abraham, there came another guy that God says, I got to try to find somebody else to just kind of just believe me. So he went to Moses. Now, these are all Moses responsible for all Abraham's children called the children of Israel. As soon as God delivered these Negroes out of slavery, they got in the wilderness and complained and grumbled and mumbled the whole time. And so God said, you know what? I got to do something. He said, I got to find a way to make covenant with them, but they're stiff-necked. You know what stiff-necked means? I mean, they're stubborn. They're stuck on stupid. Anybody, <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Huh? I want to move to this. So, so the lesson we learned last week was, When God made a promise to Israel, what did they do? They made promises back. And this is what the word says that they said. um, Actually, let me move past this. When they made a covenant with God, they basically were like, everything that the Lord has said, we will what? We're going to do. Let me ask you a question. Is that what God expects from us? No, God does not expect that from us because God knows that we cannot obey his commandments except that God lives in us to help us to do it. How many of you have ever tried to be righteous and found yourself flat on your face? But see, the natural instinct of people who view God other than as he is, a God of love, a God that keeps his promise, they try to help God keep his promises. So when God says, I'm going to save you, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to do mighty things in you, their response was, well, how can we help? This is many of your life right now. Many of you are living this right now. Your life is a humdrum experience from one job to the next, one day to the next. Nothing supernatural really ever happens except that you wake up in the morning, except that you take for granted the miracles that God works with your with your, with your your body functions and systems. But let's just be honest. Many of us have not really seen a miracle lately. Many of us have not really walked into the supernatural movings of God's presence in our lives because we're afraid to trust a God that we really don't believe wants to bless us. Some of you are scared to pray big. I thank God for this book. Some of us are scared to ask for stuff. We're scared to come to God because we just feel like we're so unworthy. God doesn't want to hear me, but I'm telling you now. Have you looked at the characters of individuals that God chose to save the world through? Noah? Some of us freaky, but you ain't as freaky as Noah was. Some of y'all get tipsy, but at least you don't get tipsy right after church like Noah did. Abraham? An adulterer? A liar? Moses? Moses got so ticked off that your boy Moses was not even able to go in the promised land because he was like, man, these people are crazy. I'm done. God said, I accept what you say. You're not going in. So then the next logical person is not the guy that we expect. So I want to ask the media team to take me to the text, Matthew 1. Verse 1, so in my mind, and this is really a simple pointed sermon today. In my mind, if all these jokers have failed, all of them, including you, everybody has failed to enter into covenant with God. The Bible Doesn't the Bible say there is none righteous? Nobody, no, not even Ellen White. Not even your holiest grandmother. Y'all not hearing me. Not when a baby is born, they're born lost. And I want to disabuse a mindset that is so prevalent in the church. I want you to understand me now. There is not one single breathing person in this room that is even more righteous than Anthony Sowell. Than Jeffrey Dahmer than Osama Bin Laden. The Bible says that we are all wicked. We are all sinful. We all need a savior. And there's nobody better than anybody else simply because you didn't do what they did. Hear me now. That is the message that the Bible is trying to teach us. That there is no one righteous. No, not one. Nobody can keep covenant. Nobody can be faithful. There is never a day in your life that you have loved God without God helping you to love him. And so in my mind, I'm saying, God, like after these repeated failures, I'm going to think about it for a minute. If, If the plan of salvation was a business plan, it would be dumb. How are you going to do this? What's your your strategy to save the world? Uh, I'm going to pick some of the most wicked cats that ever lived. And I'm going to tell them something ridiculous like, I love them no matter what they do. And I keep my promises and I'm hoping they'll believe me. We don't even do that in the church. We don't look past people's stuff. We don't look past people's records, not unless they got a little money, not unless they don't look like what they've been through. I hear people going around here saying all the time, I don't look like what I've been through. There's some of us in here that ain't been able to find that solution. Come on, tell the truth, somebody. Come on in here. Some of us, when we look at ourselves in the past and we see the life that we've lived and the stuff we've done and the things we've been through, the stresses of life. I was looking at Obama the other day and I was like, man, I was thinking, you know, Obama's black, you know what I'm saying? We don't age like everybody else. But man, anytime you become president of the United States of America, you start off jet black. Yeah. And now your boy is almost straight up white haired, ain't he? Yeah, he looks like what he's been through. And many of us in here, let's just testify for a minute, the hell that we've been through, the storms that we've walked through, it's hard to lift up your head. It's hard to praise the Lord. It's hard to give him the glory. It's hard to smile and be nice when you've been hurt, when you've been abused. I can't get nobody to talk to me in here today. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? It's not easy trusting God. It's not easy worshiping him. It's not easy serving the Lord. So I'm like, okay, what's your strategy here? What's your strategy? Ah, uh, I got to find somebody else in Abraham's family that, that will believe me. Okay. Who? The best person I can think of is David. Matthew 1 1 is one of the most powerful texts in all of the Bible. And I'm getting ready to shout. I feel it already. Look what the Bible says. The historical record. Some of you read this, I mean, how many of y'all hate reading genealogies in the Bible? Be honest. But you're too spiritual to admit it. Some of y'all too spiritual to admit it. You don't want to read them genealogies. Oh, come on. It's natural. I admit it. You don't want to read. And, so, and he shut up like, I mean, you can't even pronounce the words. But man, the gospel, I found the gospel in a genealogy. In the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, in the very first verse, the gospel of Jesus Christ is there. Look what the word says. The historical record Of who, everybody? Come on, come on, say. Of who, everybody? Jesus Jesus Christ, the son of David. (laughs) The son of Abraham. And if you keep reading, which we'll not have time to do today, man, you will see a list of family members that Jesus was connected to That is the who's who of the Bible. Solomon is in there. I'm telling you, I'm talking about some, I'm talking about if these folk were to walk in our church today, uh, all these folk on the front row ought to get their behinds up and move and give them preference to sit here. I would need to sit down and let Solomon preach because he's so wise. But man, as I'm looking at this, Rodney, I'm also realizing that, yeah, these guys were great. And understand, Matthew is writing to Jews. He's writing to church people. So his goal, follow me now, is to convince them that Jesus Christ is the son of God so that they would believe on him. Now, understand something about Jews. Jews are all about pure blood and legacy. Case in point, if you wanted to be a priest, you had to be. You had to have pure blood and you had to trace your genealogy directly to Aaron. If you study the book of Ezra sometime, you'll see in the book of Ezra that there were two guys that wanted to be listed and serve as priests. But as they began to track their genealogy, they could not track them to Aaron and they they cut them off, excommunicated them and treated them like they were unbelievers. Jews like church folk. We're all about name recognition. Yeah. And so, 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 so if, if you have your Bibles, I want you to see something. Let's go to verse two, uh, my, my, my friend. Let's go to verse two on, on, on the screen. Let's go to verse two. Verse two. <laughs> I want y'all to see something. First of all, you got Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And now, as we dig further in here, we're getting ready to see a list of the who's who of the Bible, but also could be considered the who's who of FBI's most wanted. That's right. Of human trafficking most wanted. Right. horse yeah. 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 Idol worshipers. And even... Moabite. Understand now, in order to be considered a real Jew, your blood had to be pure. It had to be one, everybody. Pure. But as you look through the list, you're going to see names of people that are not even Jews. And this is the family that Jesus said, I'm going to associate myself with. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just take a walk real quick. Abraham, fathered Isaac, liar. Isaac, fathered Jacob, liar, mischievous. And fathered Judah, Judah slept with his daughter-in-law. Next, go three. We got to move. Judah, the uh, father Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Y'all know who Tamar is? Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah who had sex with her father-in-law in order to trick him because they dissed her and threw her out to the curb. So she pretended she was a prostitute so that she could sleep with her father. Wow, she knew him real well how can I trick him? Act like a prostitute, then you'll get my daddy. You know what Judah's name means? Judah's name means praise. There's a whole other discussion, but one of the things I've noticed that plagues, especially those that lead worship and those that do ministry, sexual sin is often the thing that, that accompanies that. And, they, and it comes from their father Judah. Perez, Tamar, go to the next verse. Verse 4, we're going to move. Aram father Abinadab, Abinadab father Nashon. This is the part where you get sleepy. Nashon fathered Salmon. All right, verse 5. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Does anybody know who Rahab is? She's a prostitute, and she's not a Jew. Now, the Jews that are reading this are getting very upset because if you were going to list a king's name, his name could not have the person who was not a Jew. As a matter of fact, there's a text in Deuteronomy 23, 23 that says this. It says a a, a person that has been with a Moabite or an Ammonite cannot enter into the congregation of the Lord. But, but let me just give you a quick, a quick little, little, little praise moment. Do you realize that this family right here, Salmon father Boaz by Rahab, amen. Yeah. Boaz father Obed by Ruth, and Obed father Jesse. Now, who is Jesse, everybody? Jesse is David, King David's father. That means that David was one-fourth Moabite. Yeah. Yeah. What does that say? You know that text where David says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know why David said that? Because David knew he was one-fourth Moabite and he had no right to go into the house of the Lord. But when he began to look at his condition and look at the goodness of God, David said, I don't deserve to be here, but I'm glad when they said unto me. Verse six, let's go. Not yet, brother, not yet. Relax, man. Relax, relax. And Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon's wife. Solomon, Solomon. I'm sorry. Go back. I'm gonna. And Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Now go to the next verse. Here's where we go. Verse seven. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asaph. Stop right there. Now, notice who is Uriah's wife? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. the adult. I like to call her Bathsheba. Because according to 1 Samuel, or is it 2 Samuel? Let me. 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, the Bible says one day when. When also super spiritual praise and worship leading, dancing before the Lord David, uh, decided he was not going to go to war with everybody else. He's there minding his own business in his plush palace. He's being fed grapes by his servants. But there's something in David that doesn't fit his praise and worship style. David's feeling kind of freaky. David. The Bible says David gets up and he does not pen a psalm. He does not write new music. This is the same David that took over the throne from Saul. Now watch this now. I've had a hard time understanding this because the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. God replaced Saul with David. That ain't fair. (laughs) God called David, and God knew that David was going to cause uh, Uzzah to be killed on account of his sin. God knew that he was going to try to count his army and cause 175,000 of his people to be killed on account of his sin. And if not worse, upon worse, God knew that one freaky day that David was going to be watching Bathsheba. This is pornography before it even happened. Now, now, this is just my imagination. The Bible says Bathsheba is bathing. Now, what is her behind doing? Bathing outside. Now, now some of y'all will tell me, this is what you'll tell me. Oh, you have to understand Jewish culture. Yeah. See, in those days, folks bathed outside. Use a, you a bathed outside butt naked lie. This is my interpretation. This ain't in the Bible. This ain't in the spirit of prophecy. This is my interpretation. Man, I believe because Uriah was David's right hand man that had fought with David in battles. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Chronicles that Uriah was one of David's secret service leaders in the secret service battalion. Uriah had literally cut down the enemy of the Philistines just to give David something to drink. And when David got it, he felt so bad, he poured it out on the ground for his homies. Uriah, his boy, they had been to dinners together. They had been to royal parties together. And what I'm telling you is, is, David knew Bathsheba. And he saw her before. And the man of God the man of God, the one God chose over Saul. Now you already got five wives, but it ain't enough. You're right. Man, the Lord's been good to you, man. Man, Bathsheba... Man, she, she, I mean, she's such a blessing to you, man. Man, uh, I mean, it does, uh, is everybody, is, is folk in her family all, you know, uh, you know, shaped like she is? She seems very athletic, brother, I'm just knowing. Does she run track? Uh, all the while, David, we know this, was premeditatively, somebody say that word for me. Oh, y'all don't want to believe it. Say it, everybody, what? He's premeditatively setting up an affair. Scheming. The man of God. Some of y'all, when we walk in here, y'all float in here. (laughs) I'm serious, man. I mean, tell the truth. We are masters at floating. It looks as if one foot's on planet earth and the other foot is on streets of gold. But I know that's a lie. Because if David, you didn't write 150 uh, divisions in the Psalms. You are not the one. Now, I don't understand this. God called David a man after his own heart. Do you know what you're talking about? And then you chose him over Saul. Saul wasn't an adulterer. You know what Saul's problem was? He was proud. Saul loved appearance more than he loved repentance. So what is a man after God's own heart? It's a person who is, hear me now, is less preoccupied with position and pretension and their appearance, and they are more concerned, David, with being right with God, even though they've messed up. Yes. Yes, that's it. You missed it. That's it. That's oh, I'm gonna help somebody today. Anybody in here evil? No, 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 no. Talk to me now. Uh, no, so, 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 I gotta be out. Sometimes there are thoughts that come in my mind a and I'm like, that was evil. Okay, you, I don't got, I, y'all all, y'all got this thing together. Are any honest folk in here today that shock your own self with how wicked you are sometimes? The Bible says that the whole head is sick and desperately wicked. Come on, tell the truth and chain the devil in here. Sometimes we shock our own selves with how wicked we are. But the difference between David and Saul that God preferred David over Saul is that David had a broken spirit. In other words, God could work with him. You're not hearing me today. I'm preaching too hard already. So are you hearing me now? God is not looking for perfection. Abraham, Moses, Noah, the church is looking for perfection. Not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is looking for the whores and Jesus is looking for the drug addicts and Jesus is looking for the liars. I'm trying to tell, listen, oh, y'all not feeling well. I'm telling you that he looks for the broken-hearted. Man, oh man, y'all don't understand, man. This is beyond preaching for me. This is my story. This is my song. That's why I'm praising him all the day long. When I should have been cut off, when, I, when God should have sent my behind the hell. He had mercy on me. I'm not called because you called me. I'm not called because a conference called me. I'm called because he put his name on me. I'm anointed by God. No matter what my faults are, no matter what my sins are, no matter what I've done, it doesn't matter. He called me. He's got a plan for my life. I was reading the other day. It said, this is what it says. It said, the attack on grace never comes from the world. It always comes from the church. Like this whole notion of cheap grace. No, no, let me, so let me just tell you. Some of y'all ain't hip to this. Human nature says this. If somebody does something bad, They got to learn their lesson. You got to get them. Got to get them. They deserve it. Case in point Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon. Now, I got a different take on this. I got a different take. For those of you who are not living on planet Earth or in Cleveland, (laughs) Josh Gordon is the star, was, is, I don't know, star receiver, 6'3, 245. Runs a 4-2, 4-3, something crazy, stuff like that. Doesn't even look like he's running fast. His Legs so long. It's amazing. Beast. But has had five incidents with substance abuse. Five. And we already know he was on probation. I mean, he came back after missing several games. And we were like, okay. Man, he's got it. I mean, he got his head together. He's got a lot of talent. And my friend, oh, he's not really my friend, but I love to watch Stephen A. Smith and, yeah. and, 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 and what's the guy's name? Skip Bayless on first tape. Yeah. I shall never forget when I watched and, and, and Josh Cribbs got in trouble. He's talented. He's gifted. It's clear he's got a call on his life. I remember he fell the first time because they found weed in his urine. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith got on television. Now, I know it's his job, but just go with me for my illustration. He ripped Josh. Oh, man. And I mean, he kept saying over and over again, you're going to give up $6 million for some weed. And look, and I was sitting there saying, man, and I'm, here's my reaction. I'm just being honest. My reaction to Josh Gordon blowing another opportunity. He may never play again. There may never be a team that wants to take a risk even on his talent. For those of you who are football fans, you ought to realize now, both Super Bowl teams that are in the Super Bowl do not have a wide receiver that was picked in the, in, in, in the early part of the draft. As a matter of fact, I believe it's the uh, Seahawks, their wide receivers were all walk-ons. Undrafted. So there's a culture, understand what I'm saying? There's a culture in the league that says we don't need a Josh Gordon anymore. So for all intents and purposes, unless something miraculous happens, Josh Gordon is done. And when I saw, hear me now, Hear me now. I'm getting ready to close this thing. When I saw on my phone, Josh Corden fails uh, a substance abuse test again for alcohol. I'm like, man, you are stupid. Come come on, come on now. Any honest folk in here? Uh, Well, I don't know what your reaction was. My reaction was, what a fool. And then, Charles Barkley. Listen, this is why people like Marshawn Lynch don't want to talk to the media, because they view them as hypocritical. Charles Barkley, does anybody know about Charles Barkley? Charles Barkley that received oral sex by a prostitute, got arrested for an innumerable amount of DUIs. Charles Barkley all of a sudden got self-righteous on your boy. And Charles Barkley is going in on him. Chris Carter. Look this stuff up if you're not into football. Chris Carter was known for his transgressions with drug addiction when he was playing in the league. And and he's going out hard on him. And Josh wrote a letter. I know his attorney wrote it or his agent. I know. I know. I know he did. But he makes a good point. And I want to read this. Just a brief part of it. He says, Sir Charles, Stephen A., Chris, and other interested parties. Thank you for your recent outpouring of concern about my well-being in what has been a difficult time for my family, friends, and fans, and those like you have taken it upon yourselves to express just how much you care about me. He's being sarcastic. And my future. For that, I am truly appreciative. And then here comes the line. The thing is, you don't even know me. Now, look, don't get me wrong. If we're going to talk football, it was dumb. But if we're going to talk life, can we talk life for a minute? This, this congregation is full of Josh Gordons. It is. Now, now here's the thing, here's the thing that I'm learning about grace. The natural instinct for humanity is to want grace for themselves but for nobody else. And the Holy Spirit said, after my wife read it to me, I was like, wow. Holy Spirit said, do you see yourself, Myron? You could have lost your ministry over pornography and your marriage. And now all of a sudden, you done got on a throne, you're looking at Josh Gordon, and you're saying, what an idiot. Well, guess what, Myron? You were an idiot about seven years ago. Uh, no, let me help refresh your a You were an idiot uh, two months ago. You were an idiot three months ago. You was an idiot yesterday because you're always coming short of my glory. There is never a moment, God help us, God help us to get like David. So David pulled a Charles Barkley. When David got busted, this is what he said. Nathan the prophet comes to him and he gives him a scenario where he's really talking about him. But David is so proud and so living a lie that he don't know. Now, by the way, David has gone one year with this affair. Killed her husband. Yo, the mafia would call that getting whacked. He whacked her husband, his boy. This dude, David, was ruthless, man. If there's hope for David, there's hope for me. Come on here, somebody. And then, now, now, he did not repent for a year. Then God said, I had enough of his hypocrisy. Nathan the prophet rose up on him and said, look, man, let me tell you about a situation. There's a dude here that that has a bunch of sheep, but he took one little sheep, From this one guy who only has one. Man, what do you think we ought to do about that? David was like, what? What? (laughs) He he did what? Really? Oh, oh, we're about to deal with him. We're about to punish him tenfold. Then Nathan the prophet said, okay, I think you got the point. You are the man. Now, here's the difference between David and Saul. Saul would have said or made an excuse for his dirt, oh, y'all not hearing me? See, this is what we do. See, when it's somebody else's dirt, we want them to take responsibility. But when our dirt done hit the fan, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a word. so what happens? The Bible says that immediately. This is what. This is why David is a man after God's own heart. As soon as Nathan called him out, David fell on his face and said, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have come short. It's me. You're right. I am guilty. That's what God can work with. That's who Jesus keeps his covenant to. If I were God, or if you were God, the minute we didn't keep up our end of the bargain, we would have cut one another off. But Jesus, here's, this is why that text is so powerful, because it shows me that Jesus identifies himself with David. He said, I'm a son of David. How many are glad today that God still associates himself with you? I don't know what I got to do to get somebody to talk back to me in here today. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Are you not that far removed from who you really are and what you've really done and where you've really come from? Is there somebody in here honest enough to admit today of that, that knows where God has brought you from? You are a living testimony of what God can do. The way you look now is simply the miracle working power of a God that knows how to keep his promises. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I bless the name of God today that he still loves David and he's still the son of a Myron and he still loves a Demario. And he says, I'm willing to keep my covenant even though they can't keep theirs. That's who God is. Hear me now. This picture that the church has painted of God being some angry, unstable, selfish God that only wants to deal with folks that have messed up is a lie. You know it's a lie because you're still here. Anybody in here made the devil a lie today because you showed up in here. If you're in here today, then you made the devil a lie because your very existence, your very presence says that he looked beyond my faults and saw my need. And here's what the Holy Spirit's been dealing with me on. Jesus is saying this. I'm going to keep mine. I don't, care. I don't care what you do. I'm keeping my promise. What is this promise? I will save you. Did you hear what I said? When God says, I'll save you, take it to the bank. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. God is looking for are some folks who've been broken, some folks who've been beaten down, some folks who have been who are, are violated by the cares of this life, stepped on, looked over, kicked around, messed up on your own. God says, I'm looking for some crazy folk that are willing to believe that if I can save you, I don't need you to affirm it. I don't need you to look like it. If I said it, it's going to happen. Amen. The only way people can be lost It's not because of sin. Exclusively. It's because they didn't believe. You didn't believe him. Listen. No, pastor, it's sin. Okay. So why did he hang on to Abraham? Why did he hang on to David? Talk to me. Saul, who became Paul, was killing Christians one day with Jesus. He's making Christians. How much time are you willing to give somebody? Do they need a whole year to turn their life around? Huh? I thank God for A. Shell and and I thank God for Eric's testimony. Thank you, Jesus, that you're still in the business of redeeming. You're still in the business of reconciling. You're still in the business of forgiving sins. Give him the glory. If he can do it for them, he can do it for you. Covenant fulfilled. Boom. How? David fell. And all of his children turned on you. Because my covenant is not conditioned upon the righteousness of the people that I've come to save. My covenant is predicated on what I said. I don't think I have a new baby until I began to read and study lately that God is love. I don't know about you. I don't know what your struggle is, but my whole life, as I've looked at myself, I just find it so hard to believe that he loves me. I can sing the songs. I can preach it. What I'm talking about when ain't nobody around. I'm talking about when there is no church to listen to what I've got to say. I'm talking about when there is no praise team and there's no suit and there's no tie and it's just you and the voice of the enemy is reminding you of everything you've done and wherever you've been and then I heard the voice of Jesus say come unto me and rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me I don't care what anybody has to say I now know that Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so and you will never reach your potential in God until you get graced for many of us you just you were raised in rules that's right that's right you were raised in it keep living though because this is what I honestly believe some of us have to fail in order to be saved come on my brother come on so I'm telling you right now as sure as you're born as sure as you are alive I'm not saying I'm, don't get the theology mixed up but I'm telling you Come on, sir. Come on. There, are some, there are only certain lessons that are learned through failure Amen. and it's easy to sit down and look at the Josh crib I mean Josh, what's his name Josh Gordon and, and look at folks who've messed up and, ah, and make declarations about their destination and make assumptions about their you don't know them Look at your neighbor and say, you don't know me for real. Come on, tell it to look at you and say, you don't know me for real. You don't know my hurts. You don't know my wounds. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know who my mama is. You don't know who my daddy is. you don't know where I was raised, and you don't know what happened to me. That's what John said. John said, he says, I'm 23 years old. I, I've made mistakes. And he said, but if you look at where I am compared to where my friends are, I'm still a success. Yeah. Oh, have I got anybody in here today? Yeah, you're not where others want you to be. But how many can testify today that deep down in your soul, you can tell the devil today, I know I'm not where I want to be, but thank you, Jesus. Yeah where I used to be. I'm going to tell you what God's going to need to do to some of us. You You need to get smacked down. That's what the Lord did to me. Mighty Rock, he knocked me down. He said, I see you up there preaching and condemning. I hear it. But well, you have not dealt with you. Yeah. Yeah. And now my testimony is like David's. I know this is your favorite scripture. Create within me a clean heart. Renew. See church, for many of you churches, is something you come and you analyze and, and you discuss. Wait till you get knocked down. The music's gonna sound different. And, The preaching is going to sound different. And being amongst folks that should be dead. Because you know you could have been dead. Oh, y'all not praying with me today. I'm saying everything changes when you get graced. Everything changes when God pulls you from some stuff. Your service changes. You don't serve certain people and not serve other people. Because you know that God could have done the same thing to you. But he served you when you didn't deserve to be. Hey, let me me tell you. Oh, thank you, God. God loved me at my lowest point. He didn't love me when I was getting called to preach here. He didn't love me when I got my doctorate. He didn't love, no, he loved me in my lowest moments. <laughs> oh, I want to magnify his name today. I kind of feel like David a little bit. And I feel like praising the Lord. Was it not? That's why David prayed so hard because David was delivered so hard and when God has pulled you out of some stuff you, you get like David and, and you begin to say I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will be in my mouth you begin to be like David and say surely goodness and mercy y'all didn't hear what I said I said goodness and mercy oh, I said goodness for my badness and Mercy. You get like David. And you say, Search me, oh God. Search me. You not see you're not afraid to be human. I got a word for somebody today. The freedom of the gospel is the freedom to not take yourself too seriously. Yeah, yeah. I can laugh at myself. I know I lie sometimes. I don't know about see y'all don't do that kind of stuff. White lies, black lies, all them lies, I tell them. And I'm willing to admit it right now. You know why? Because I know I'm not gonna get in heaven on account of my righteousness. I'm gonna get in heaven on account of my brokenness. Is there a liar in here? I'm right now, here's one. I manipulate sometimes. I, I get afraid sometimes. I, I get worried sometimes. I, I get proud sometimes. I, I think dirty sometimes. I know y'all, you can't shout on that because you still take yourself too seriously. I don't know who you are in here today, but I got news for you. When you get graced, you forget how deep you are and you realize how much in need you are of Jesus. And you can even laugh at yourself sometimes. Have I got anybody in here that every now and then you look at the dumb stuff you do and you shake your head. And you say, Lord, have mercy. I'm crazy and I know it. But I thank God that he's crazy in love with me. hero